Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th T podcast here in Marsh. Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drew, very excited again for our guest this evening. Uh, he is a return guest and one that's been in a fair bit of form. Back-to-back third-place finishes to kickstart his 2022. Uh, first and foremost, the Australian PGA, and then most recently over the weekend at the Queensland PGA. I speak, of course, of a young man who's also comfortably inside our top three. I would suggest, not just that of the Queensland PGA and the Australian PGA, that's uh, young Louis Dobler. Louis, welcome back to the 19th Tee. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, lads. It's good to be back and it's good to be, uh, be in that top three. Jeez. <laughs> I just want to put something to you off the top. Um, hypothetical, would you prefer to have back-to-back third-place finishes or win a tournament and then miss the cut the following week? Mm, I, don't, I like to have a win. I think winning takes care of a lot. Okay, well, I was hoping you might have a little bit of a dig at young Jed Morgan there because he was a guest of ours last week. And I, I'm going to tell you, there was a, a number of drive-bys on one L Dobler from Jay Morgan last week. And we'll get to that a little later, but I thought I'd give you a little opportunity off the top to to return the fire. But uh, you showed far more grace than you than your good mate. No, that's a, yeah, he's a tough one to, to get words out of old Jed, but no, he's... I think winning takes care of a lot, and it's a credit to, to the week he had out at RQ. He uh, blew us all away. Talk to us about, first and foremost, uh, your most recent performance, and that was the Queensland PGA as a flag to a third-place finish there. The newly renovated, refurbished Nudgee golf course, I suppose, first and foremost, what do you think of the course? It's cool, yeah. It's, um, I think Brisbane needed something a bit new. Um, I feel like a few of our courses are... I guess a bit more traditional, older, older style. Um, I guess Najee's brought in a bit more of a, uh, I guess, modernised, um, you know, style of golf to Brisbane. So I think that's exciting for for the future of Najee. I think a few people agree that um, the course probably isn't as mature as, as what they'd like for a tournament golf. But um, in saying that, I think the tournament did a really good job of uh, presenting the course and uh, presenting a, you know, a great venue for us place so no it was, it was a trip to be out there and it was nice to nice to be in my own bed for a week t3 uh sorry yeah no outright third finish um i should mention there five shots behind anthony quail the winner it's a good start to to 2022 mate obviously as marshy mentioned up the top there you know inside the top five in in the first two tournaments of the year it's it's a really good start sets you up well for for what's to come this year yeah totally i think uh you know I think I was talking about it with, with my coach Grant this morning. Um, yeah, you know, if someone told me I'd have back-to-back top thirds, I probably would have taken it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's uh, it's a good sign of, you know, where my game's at. And, and you know, I'm not I'm not too far away of um, some of these top players back here. So it's good to, yeah, good to be amongst it. And, and it's good to get the competitive juices flowing again. As much as we haven't had a whole lot of golf back here, it's been nice to compete on, on home soil with, with a lot of good mates. Tough conditions out there. Sorry, KM. I was just going to say tough conditions on Friday. 
Was it Marshy? You, you yeah, were you were the weatherman on the field yeah. for me, Marshy. Across the week, across the weekend, to be honest, but Friday was sideways wind. Yeah, that was uh, that was brutal. Out there. Um, I had a really nice round going. I was a couple under with I think off the gun finished even, and I was I was still stoked with that. Yeah, it was it was brutal. I think I moved up. Yeah, probably five or six spots in that in that morning. So. Um, yeah, that, that place can get windy, obviously, being by the airport there. Um, it's generally pretty consistent throughout the whole day, but I think it got windy as the, as the day got on. I was going to hold it for a little later in the chat, Louis, but you mentioned your coach, Grant Field. Is he walking about four foot taller at the moment? His table is on fire results-wise. Yeah, he's doing pretty good. I think he uh, he must be teaching us something pretty good because he's got a few good, good blokes coming through. Is it nice to probably get back a little bit of face time as well? Obviously, you know, you coach for a fair while now and you stay in touch no matter where you are in the world, but always nice to get a little bit of time back on home soil and, and, and get that face time as well. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you can only do so much on FaceTime and as much as it's better than nothing, I think being, you know, face-to-face, you get a lot more, I guess, quality time and, and probably more accurate um, feedback. And, yeah, it's just good to reconnect with everyone as well, like, you know, whether it's grand or family or whatever, it's it's been nice to catch up with everyone. It was, it was a long seven months away, so it's good to good to be back and, and around everyone, I guess. We'll talk a bit about what's happened across the past seven months, but I'm curious to know what your approach and your goals are for this year specifically, because you've tasted some success. It was a, I think, enormously successful overseas trip by any measure for you, uh, particularly the states, and obviously got your status in the PGA Tour of Latin America, which you're staring down the barrel of in 2022 and pending results across the remainder of the summer. You're sitting currently in third on the Australasian order of merit with a top three guaranteed a, a tour card for the European tour. So all of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of doors opening for, for Louis. What, what were the goals, I suppose, to start the year and, and where you hope to see yourself progress in the next couple of months? Um, I think, yeah, the goal is, you know, every week is to try and win and over a season is try to try lead an order of merit. Um, so I think that's, yeah, obviously the last few weeks has changed a few things, but um, I think, yeah, obviously with the the tokens of, um, well, I guess the pathways within the Australasian tour, I think I need to think a little bit more wise about how, how the rest of my year looks like and how much I play, um, obviously the, the upcoming events and how important to finish, you know, high up on that order of merit is here. Um, you know, definitely the whole the whole point of going to the Latin America tour is, you know, it's a good pathway to the US tour eventually and you go through Corn Ferry and you take the steps and um but all of a sudden I've put some results on the board back here and now the Australasian tour looks looks really good. So um yeah, it's changed a few things, but it's all uh, it's all exciting. A bit of cash in the old skyrocket as well at the moment, mate. Um you are a rev head. How many cars have you got your uh, eyes on at the moment. <laughs> I think uh, I think marketplace has failed on me a few times these last <laughs> few days. The app keeps uh, blowing up, but no, it's. I think what I earned the last two weeks is what I earned in four years of cleaning golf carts at Brookwater. So, I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with that ratio. We'll turn our attention to Jed Morgan in a moment because I just want to ask you a few questions about him. But just first off the top, who's got the better mullet, you or him? Jed, I think mine, mine, I wouldn't even classify mine as a mullet. I'm trying to grow it out a bit. I think uh, 
I think it's a bit of action mate. out the back, but yeah, <laughs> there's a bit of action out the back, but I think between him and Cam, they they can look after that stuff. Let's take a look in the rear view mirror, uh, Louis. You talked about uh, a long seven months away from home, but as I as I flagged, I think by anyone's estimation, a highly successful one. Uh, probably we'll get into some specific events soon, but uh, your overall reflections on a trip to the US, um, I suppose what it taught you in terms of the next steps required to, to lift your game to the necessary level and, and, and how important you think that's been in your development in terms of a, of a trip away, finding your own feet. Yeah, 100%. It's, I think at the start of that trip, I guess it's like anyone going away for that amount of time. Um, I was probably a bit sceptical about being being away and going away through the middle of the pandemic. So, yeah, it was definitely a tough leap. But, you know, looking back on it, the amount of, um, I guess, good lessons learned and a lot of the, you know, things that probably just don't get learned unless you've experienced it. You know, looking back on that, it's been, um, been huge to probably where I am, you know, even today. So, very, uh, very grateful for all the support and the, and the team behind me. Um, to put last year together and um, you know as a result we had some nice results and yeah going forward it's it's just been it's been huge you know going away through all of that was it was tough and none of it was easy but um, you know it was nice to be able to have a laugh and catch up with some mates along the way might be difficult to to try and choose one or the other and, and don't feel as though you have to but can you separate what you think is more important in terms of the physical results? I mean, obviously some, some fantastic wins or, or is it the experience as a whole and what you'll take from that in terms of your next few steps as a pro? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think if you look at it over career, like, you know, I know a lot of guys, um, you know, they always said to me, I, was, I got pretty caught up in the whole rankings thing as an amateur and um, trying to get as high as I could and, and feeling, you know, hard done by in the system with the rankings. I think I probably got a bit caught up in that for a little while. But once I got over that and, and I realised, you know, what's the point of trying to be strategical when you're getting all these experiences in every event you play in? So, um, you know, the, the goal is always to win. But, um, you know, at the same time, if, if you're winning off the course and, and learning all these other things, I think you're, you're just developing in, in different areas and in different ways. So... Yeah, there's lots of things that happened last year. Um, you know, definitely a lot of a lot of things didn't go my way, and and I learned and, and moved on. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey. I guess it's all it all makes sense looking back, and and hopefully it's going to be the same looking back in another twelve months time. What did you learn about yourself, mate? It's a big trip to undertake, you know, as a young fella. But how, what did you learn about yourself, whether it's your game or you personally? Was there anything that really stood out to you that you when you landed back in Oz? Um, yeah, I mean, I learned, I think I wrote this on Instagram, but I learned how many times I could wear a shirt before I need to wash it. <laughs> um, you know, obviously not having not having my mum or my girlfriend by my side to, to help me with that stuff was pretty difficult. But um, and yeah, in all seriousness, it was. I think I really enjoyed probably being on my own in a in a way. I think that was um, as much as I had some good friends and family around overseas. Um, you know, having no schedule, or, you know, between events, or I guess you got to learn how to live over there, and you got to learn how to um, 
because for seven months, you're not just playing golf the whole time. You got to, I kind of got over the fact that I was not playing golf. I was, I was literally living there. So, um, that overcoming that. And once I realized, you know, America is not the worst place in the world and, you know, there's, there's so many fun things to be doing. And yeah, just was able to, you know, enjoy myself in that regard. And, and I think, you know, I've been doing some work with Ben Crow and a lot of the stuff he, he kind of helped me with, you know, it was a, more of a mindset shift at the start of the trip because, you know, going away for that amount of time, it all seems shit. seems like you're leaving everyone behind. seems like you're, you're never going to see everyone again. Um, and then turned it into this, you know, exciting journey and this, uh, you know, adventure. It was, it was more of an exciting adventure than anything. So um, by shifting my mindset there, it helped me enjoy the trip. You know, I had some nice results along the way, which helped, but at the same time, you know, didn't make the, the trip successful. It made it, made it fun and um, enjoyable. Well, success is probably a good word uh, as an, and a nice segue, the Dogwood Invitational. Um, I mean, an incredible week for yourself out at Druid Hills there in Georgia, mate. I mean, to, to take a big trip, as I mentioned, like that and then have taste success so early in the piece must have just made the whole process so much easier and, and I bet you must have been bloody proud of yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, I'd, I'd competed earlier in the year um, or early in 2021, but to head away into you know, different, different oceans and different waters was, uh, you know, to compete and, and to do well was, I guess, good to know because I hadn't done it for a long time. And um, yeah, it's, <clears throat> there's a lot of really good American college players. So for me to prove that to myself at the very beginning probably was a, a good help and a good bit of confidence to keep the kicks out the trip. It's an interesting I suppose, concept though, right? Because you've, you've taken yourself across the other side of the world as, as Nathan mentioned, you know, success so early on. But, um, you know, the last couple of minutes you've spoken about being very comfortable on your own and having to find your own way. So and did you find it was almost beneficial that you, you, you won in isolation so you kind of keep a lid on it? You know, maybe if you've got a large group around you and you've had success so early in the trip, your feet might start to float a little bit off the ground, but it's almost as if when you're on your own, you can appreciate it. It's a great effort and I've done well, but I kind of have to be pretty squared on to kind of focus on to the next event. And so in many ways, almost being on your own uh, is a benefit in that way too, in terms of keeping your head screwed on up. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the biggest the biggest thing about being away for a long time and, and I guess being a professional golfer is trying to just keep, emotionally level way um you know i was pretty stoked um gaz and i had a good celebration and literally the next morning we're on a flight um where did we go to up to uh the sunny hunter amateur and you know i was just on such a such a buzz such a high from from that last week i was definitely distracted leading into the next one and all of a sudden, you you know you're not quite prepared for that next event, and your body's a bit tired. And yeah, I think yeah, it was actually a good lesson to learn. Unfortunately, but in a good way that I, you know, you you cheering, you you spoke to win, and but at the same time, you got to get back to business on on the Monday straight after. So um, yeah, it's it's as much as yeah, same thing. You have a bad week, and you know you get straight back to work the next week and you're doing your things to, to make things right for, 
for whatever's coming up next. And I think that's, you know, over a career, there's so many little things you learn um, about being, I guess, more so stoic than, than having the up and downs that, you know, golf brings. How much of the trip did you have plot out before you left and how much of it was adapting to kind of the environment that was ahead of you? Because I imagine, you know, uh, early success at the Dogwood maybe does open some doors that didn't necessarily plan for being at the trip. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think I had five events on the schedule when I when I left, um, all amateur events. Um, when I when I left home, I think I was about ninety six or like ninety nine in the world. So by winning the dogwood, I think I dropped to like sixty five, and then um, I think I moved. The cutoff for the USM was like the week of the sunny hunt, and I somehow moved inside the the top fifty cutoff. So. You know, automatically after those two weeks, I'd I'd opened up the US Amateur door, and um, to be able to go to Oakmont was pretty special. And then, because I think when I left home, I think we were only planning to go for about I don't know twelve weeks or so, just under three months. Um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden, I'm I'm coming home on Christmas morning, pretty much. So it was a uh, yeah, I guess a few things happened which are really nice and. <clears throat> You know, the trip got more exciting as it went on. The North and South Amateur, incredible. Uh, just, I was just looking back at some photos on Instagram there. I mean, it must have just been a whirlwind few days for you, mate. Like, what a famed tournament to have your name etched in the history books for. I mean, Pinehurst number two in itself is, you know, remarkable as a golf course. But just take us through what that moment was like where you win and I guess everything that comes with the North and South Amateur. Yeah, that was a very fun week. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Pinehurst, very fortunately. Um, I played like US kids golf events there and junior world stuff there growing up. So to be able to play there as an amateur and, um, you know, in front of some, some really good friends and, um, and family there, actually, um, that, was, that was really cool and really special. And, you know, I think I was, so I spent the week with Cam at the Travelers that week before. Um, and there was a few things, you know, I was watching him play that week and there was a lot of things that I probably took away from that week that I guess internally motivated me to, to you know, want to get to that next level and <clears throat> obviously Cam's on another planet, but, um, you know, there's things that I picked up off him and that motivated me for that whole week. So, yeah, to win there was really special and that place is just a joke. Like, it's so much golf. It's golf, golf heaven. So, um yeah, and of course, the course was unreal. Like it's absolute joke. What's uh, what's the sorry, KM? Uh, the no, no, I was, you go, Teresa. I was just gonna say, mate. What's it like playing Pinehurst number two? Like it's it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> like, it's brutal. I, I think we, in a way, we got quite um, quite the easier. I guess conditions, if that's a thing around there. I mean, it was a bit softer, and the greens are the greens can be brutal even when it is soft. So, um, you know, obviously the US Open there, I think the greens were firm, and there might have only been one guy under par for the whole week, and that's saying something about you know course design and, and course setup. So, yeah, the the greens there are a joke. So much fun. You really got to. I think a good golf course is a golf course where you really have to think about your misses, like you know, where where the ball goes if you're not hit it perfect. I think that's where you 
where your good golf courses come from. And I think that you find the really, um, I don't know how you put this, but the golfers that can find a way around those kind of golf courses are, you know, I think they, they can manage pretty good at the courses where you can get away with stuff. You mentioned, I suppose, just the aura around a, a property like Pinehurst uh, and, and it's just golf, as you said, everywhere you look. Do you get a sense of uh, history of the place when you when you walk through Pinehurst? Obviously, I, I don't necessarily think that Nathan or I will ever have that opportunity, Louis, and for a person who's been there a number of times will live vicariously through you, but it strikes me as maybe not to the level of, of a St Andrews or an Augusta, but certainly a place that has... Uh, uh, obviously an aura, but also steeped in that that history of golf that is so rich there at Pinehurst. Yeah, 100%. I think um, I think if there's any chance that you guys get over there, it's it's got to be it's got to happen. Like there's you walk through the clubhouse and there's all the memorabilia of you know US Opens and I guess more the story of of how that place all came up and um, yeah, there's you know the whole Payne Stewart thing that happened there and um and just to think pretty much every grade of the game has has been to Pinus at some point so i think that that whole aura around you know that week was very special and um you know i think i probably don't even appreciate this until now like the, the members of of pinehurst the north and south is like the of course they got the us open but that's like their their members event like they all get behind it and and all love it and um you know, that says a lot to the appreciation that the members have for, for their course and they understand the history of it. And, yeah, I probably don't appreciate that until until I speak of it. Like, it's something you probably can't explain. Louis, I think in our experience, having spoken to so many of you now, players generally fall in one of two camps. Um, you either love golf, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a means to an end, but it's it's something that you can get in and get out of and kind of, uncouple yourself quite easily from or you're complete um completely invested a complete enough and that includes the appreciation of uh, you know things like architecture and design you you flagged those two words literally a couple of minutes ago and you've played you know pinehurst a number of times most recently in the last couple of months a place like oakland as well um, which is a very special place do you allow yourself moments to, to when you're out there playing to just take a second to kind of look around and appreciate I suppose what you're walking through or is it not something that you can really take stock of until, until I suppose some time after like we're talking about now? Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the, you know, it was definitely a challenge for me playing um, on some serious venues last year was that, you know, if you, if you're thinking about all the people that have walked down that fairway, there's a good chance you're not going to be focused on what you're doing. And I was, uh, I was walking down Oakmont with, um, my mate Gary, he was caddying and there's a few holes where I'm like, oh, this is where, you know, Dustin hit his shot or this is where, like, and I, I got to the point where I'm like, geez, I probably should actually focus on, you know, what what, what Louis doing this week rather than what all these other people have done. So, yeah, and, and when it came, came to tournament time, you know, being able to switch that off and, and just think, all right, this is another golf course. This is... Um, you know, this is the cards that have been dealt. Let's just get on with it and, and do our stuff. And yeah, I think you, you got to have that appreciation, but you got to you got to get it out of your psychology pretty quick. What is it like playing in a USM, mate? I mean, the pressure must just be next level. I mean, you've you've won, um, you know, a couple of events by the time that you you get to this point. I mean, 
you, you get through the stroke play and then unfortunately get knocked out in the round of 64, two down. I mean, you were the 48th seed going in. What's your expectations going into that week? What's that whole just week like? It must just be kind of chaotic in your head, as you sort of mentioned there. Yeah, definitely. I think one of my mates actually said he, before I played the event, he's like, this is the USM is as close to, well, as close as what you're going to get in a PJ Tour event. Mm. Um, and, you know, I saw it that week. The, the USGA do a great job of um, literally everything. Obviously, the, the venues are the number one, but then you Pro V's on the range. you got volunteers everywhere. you got walking scorers. you got um, rules officials in every group. Like, there's there's something about it that's so well done. Um, and, you know, that, that whole week, I think I probably put a bit of unintentional pressure on myself that I... You know, I knew if I probably did well there, if I potentially won, I could have come home. And um, if not, you know, what does the next few months look like after that? I think I had that all kind of going on in my head um, at the start of that week. And, you know, to overcome, I guess, some anxieties and some, um, you know, unintentional pressure on myself. You know, I did a, I did a good job of playing golf but at the same time I, I probably put a lot of unintentional pressure on the whole week and and realizing that that's not the only only way forward I just think that I was I was trying to come home kind of thing if I'd if I'd done well there so um, especially you know given the situation that getting back and forth from Australia was so difficult um, and not seeing everyone for a while I think yeah you know, you got all these thoughts going on in your head and you want to be home, you want to be around your friends and your family. And um, by the same time, yeah, that, that whole expectation was to, to try and win. But, you know, I needed to realise, you know, that's just the goal. It's not what, I, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just do my stuff right and, and whatever happens, happens. There appears from a distance, Louis, at an event like a US amateur to be almost a, a, a class distinction between amateurs because there's your, your, your genuine amps and there's the guys who are almost professional amps uh, you know quite well endorsed um albeit they can't necessarily accept money they've got a comfortable life as an amateur and they travel around to all these different amateurs you know around the country around the world do you notice that when you walk in do you notice the guys who's like you probably shouldn't be here like you probably could have taken a step up you know five or six years ago but you, you you've lived a cushy amateur life yeah no it's there's uh, there's definitely some characters like that out there, but you know, to be fair, to play that event, you've done something right. Um, you know, obviously to get there or to to be exempt into that field, um, and I think that's what makes that event so fun is that you get such a probably diverse um, quality of players. Like, you know, you've got your top fifty that are generally the most competitive, but at the same time anything happens in match play. Like you get to match play and, um, you know, it's anyone's game, anyone's day. So that whole week, everyone that's playing that week is so good. But then, yeah, you definitely notice the guys that take it more more seriously. And, um, and I think, you know, they, there's some really cool stories that, you know, even people that I play with um, coming from all over the world during the pandemic and, um you know, I think a lot of people could connect in that regard and, and share some appreciation just to play some golf. And, and of course, the USM's pretty special. A couple of months after that, mate, in November, you 
make the decision to turn pro. Um, a very exciting announcement, obviously, for yourself and your team and, and your family. Was that always part of the plan to sort of around that November timeline? How did things change? Who did you consult before that uh, decision came about? Yes, I think the, the plan was to always, you know, try and turn pro at the end of last year. Um, you know, obviously some good good results through the middle section there helped, um, I guess, internally for me to plan that out and uh, where I was going to play, I had no idea, um, but I just wanted somewhere to, to get going and, and have a card. So I think we all sat down, my coach, management, mum, dad, we were just sat down and, and plotted some stuff out and um, tried to think of the things that made the most sense. And yeah, we all, all agreed on something and, and went with it. It's exciting, exciting announcement for yourself. I mean, it was so well received amongst the Australian golfing public as well. I think everyone knows your your talent that they've seen. I mean, what were your what were your reactions to everyone's reactions? I guess you must have just been so pumped by the way that everyone got around you because I guess it had been a long time coming. Everyone knowing the the talent that you possessed. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was fun. I had a lot of. I, I knew probably the reaction I was going to get when I announced it. So. Um, I literally, it was during Q school. I did it at the start of the week before my um, Latin America Q school, um, which was in itself probably a bit of a distraction. And I, I actually turned my phone off for most of that week. And um, I had messages coming from every direction, but it was, you know, I had a, I guess I had a job to do that week. And, um, you know, it's nice to have some, some great support in Australia and, and lots of, lots of friends and family I've met along the way. And, um, to have people behind you is, is an awesome feeling. So, um, yeah, just trying to make everyone proud and, and do the right thing. And then coming back to Australia, I mean, we, we touched on the Queensland PGA most recently, but the year 2022 started with the, the Aussie PGA. Um, I mean, an incredible tournament in and of itself. I mean, the, we, we had Jed on the pod last week and, and we did all the results to death. But, I mean, for you to come out and deliver a performance like that in the first First tournament of the year was incredibly impressive. I mean, it doesn't get much better than starting with a dunk eagle on the second, I think, mate. I mean, it's all – is it all uphill or all downhill from there? I don't know. I think it, it went uphill pretty quick and then um, I had to kind of regather myself. I, I literally thought I flew it out of bounds, so I was pretty stoked <laughs> to, to find out it went in. I mean, there's a five-shot swing in that. Yeah. So, but no, that was, that was pretty cool and – um, ended up playing pretty solid the rest of that round and, and as the week went on and played some good golf and um, yeah, it was great to see Jed get up. That's, uh, you know, it was an incredible performance. It, it kind of seemed like he was playing another golf course that week. So um, yeah, obviously stoked for him. He's one of my best mates. So it's, there's not many people I like to see win, but he's definitely one of them. What'd you think of RQ, mate? I, I must admit, I said this last week, I thought they did an outstanding job. Obviously, there was a fair bit of press at the time and the decision to take the tournament away from Royal Pines um, and take it to, you know, one of the most exclusive clubs in in southeast Queensland. But uh, it was clear that the members took an awful lot of pride in hosting that event and that the, the, the Green staff did an exceptional job to get it up for the four days because it almost got better as it went on, it seemed. Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, you know, it's a credit to, I guess, to the whole team out there. They did a great job and... I think I spoke to quite a few members that week and they were saying, 
you know, people that have might have been members there for 50 odd years, they'd say that's the best I'd ever seen the course. So a huge credit to the team they got around that that place and um, obviously the PGA for it's it's one of those golf courses that's just it's built for it's built for big events and, and built for people and um, grandstands and all that kind of stuff. So to see it actually all be there and all happen was, you know, it's a I guess just a pleasure to be a part of. Course record sixty four on the opening day, um, including including a bogey on the eighth as well. As I'm just looking back at the, the scorecard, so um, I mean, you must have been elated to be holding the course record for all of twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Even, I honestly didn't even know about it until I heard Jed broke it the next day. So um, I wasn't too upset because I didn't even know I had it. So, um, <laughs> but no, it was it was something to try and chase for the weekend, I guess. But um, you know, anything mid sixties around there is pretty solid golf. It can be a absolute brutal setup. So yeah, I was pretty happy with that. The only criticism that I think we all had last week on the pod, mate, was the champagne technique on the 18th when you came out. Didn't really work for you, did it? I've got a I've got a good excuse. I saw <laughs> I saw you look it in the bottle. You were going, What's going Where on? Is here? it? Is it only our yeah. fault? <laughs> all right, what's the no, excuse? So, so actually I was I signed my card and I, I was asking whoever it was down there. I was asking the, the PGA. I'm like, all right, I need to get some champagne ready for Jed. Anyway, they found some and, and Casey Stoner was actually down there. I played in the pro-am with him and he was uh, he was out supporting the whole week. And I think out of all people, Casey Stoner is probably one of the best people to ask for champagne spraying <laughs> advice. Um, anyway, he, he told me what to do. I did it all, you know, perfectly and, Everyone comes up and I was pretty disappointed with my effort because it was pretty, you know, pretty sad. Um, I think the term spaghetti arms was used to describe it last week in terms of your rel- okay. relative strength uh, to, to actually get the champagne. <laughs> yeah, no, it was apparently, apparently it was cheap champagne. So that's my excuse. Right. Well, so apparently, mean, apparently that, the that good ones have... can... I was going to say that wouldn't have come out of the fridge in the clubhouse because that'd be all primo stuff there at Royal Queensland. I would have thought. Oh yeah, you, you only get the the top of the crop up there. <laughs> now tell me, uh, you've mentioned his name a, a couple of times, uh, Gary. Gary is your your good friend and and caddy. Uh, Gary is Gary Kissick, um, who people might know the name. He's certainly a lot more popular than you out at Royal Queensland. It seemed, Louis. I noticed. I don't know how. I mean, course record, you mentioned you didn't know about it, but um, standing greenside on the 18th on the Thursday, uh, everyone was chanting Gary's name from the gallery on the, on the grandstand on 18 when you walked up, not, not Louis. So uh, obviously a very popular guy. Um, people may know him also as the fiancé of uh, the world number one female tennis player in Ash Barty. So I suppose my first question is, how dirty are you that he brushed you for the Queensland PGA uh, in order to, to go down and support his, his wife-to-be? Yeah, I was a little bit headless. I think he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he he's jeopardised his future on the bag with that. But no, nah, he's he's a good mate of mine, and we we have a lot of fun out there together. And um, yeah, it's pretty funny listening to some of the shit people are saying in the in the crowds. And it's it's funny because they think we all care as much as what you know they're trying to get out of us. They think we really care about and find it funny what they're saying. So I think it was a bit of a joke of ours that you know it was. There's some very drunk people and yelling out some funny stuff. So wasn't there ever? Uh, I wonder. I've always been curious about how you go about 
selecting a caddy because often it's either they say that opposites attract and if you're a pretty level-headed person you need someone with a bit of energy on your bag but from a distance it certainly seems like you and Gary are pretty pretty cool calm and collected and, and you're probably not getting a lot of um, rev up out of Gary if you need it so how, like how does that dynamic work for you on the course and I suppose what what transformed from a good friendship to that partnership on the course because obviously he's quite a handy uh, handy goal for himself yeah yeah no it's I think with, with for me with a caddy I like to I like to have someone that I can you know spend a week with or spend you know six hours straight with and be able to have a laugh with them um I find it quite or I find it quite draining to not probably have a laugh in that amount of time so you know, it helps that Gaz and I get along really well, but at the same time, I can lean on him when I need it. Like, he, he knows enough golf to, um, you know, for me to ask questions and for me to reach out. But at the same time, you know, he's he's there to have a laugh and, and to keep us, I guess, focused on, on the task at hand. Did you get the same out of uh, Chris Crooks who was on the bag for you this week? Because I'm just trying to understand if Gary's not available what are the prerequisites for me to get a start? If it's just to be funny, I think I can potentially manage that over six hours. But what I what I lack in uh, golf knowledge potentially can make up for in in jokes. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> if yeah, that's that's one of the prerequisites. I think uh, if you can oh, okay. if you can make me if you can make me laugh, I think that's you know you, you may as well just have the job now. I guess <laughs> that will be the worst week of your life. Be long, yeah, long <laughs> week. What, whatever you do, we just, you know, the conversations that Gary and I have out there should just, we should just never be mic'd up. Some of the conversations we have are just career-ending. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Where do you want to finish, KM? I've got one question here from. It's not even a question. It was more just a comment that came from Jed Morgan to ask you about. Uh, the nickname Atlas and where that came from. And if you'd like anything sort of right of return back to Jed. Um, Yeah. So apparently I I promise the world and deliver an Atlas, they reckon. So (laughs) I think, uh, I think there's a few people that probably could agree with that, but. I think there's a proviso there. He did say that it's only when you've had a few tins that you promise the world and deliver an Atlas. No, I don't drink alcohol, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I must admit, uh, I'm very much looking forward. So we've had Jed's side of the story. We've now had your side of the story. I'm most looking forward to Jack Thompson's side of the story, who apparently is the creator oh, of the did. nickname Atlas. And that's coming in the next uh, next couple of weeks. So I think of all three recounts of that story, it's Jack's that I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, I think uh, whatever you do, you just shouldn't bring up any table tennis. I think we uh, we we... <laughs> In Orlando, we we got a new nickname for Jed. We call him. So we had this pretty much big big tournament, and his name became Jabaya because he was a buy match pretty much every time we played him. <laughs> so, and we, it was Jabaya or Bison Deshambo. We called him. So he can uh, he can give me all the shit he wants, but his table tennis game needs to seriously get picked up. <laughs> However, Jack, Jack Thompson can seriously play ping pong and I don't want you to talk about ping pong with him because he flogged me the whole trip. Okay. <laughs> Deal. Just with Jabaya. Oh, sorry, Bison. Yeah, yeah um, Bison, that's it. A couple that's of gone. quick ones for me to finish. You mentioned you mentioned Ben Crow a little earlier 
Uh, and it was on my list because I've noticed um, you starting to feature a little bit more prominently on Ben's Instagram feed of late. For people who aren't familiar with Ben Crow, uh, former Nike executive turned mindset coach, he's worked with some absolutely elite performers on his books, including uh, Ash Barty, funnily enough, uh, Dustin Martin and a number of members of the Richmond Football Club, Dylan Alcott, Steph Gilmore, uh, Alex Kerry, most recently I saw on his, on his Instagram, and, and one Louis Dobler. So can you tell us how the the Ben Crow relationship came about and what, what it is that you, I suppose, get? Because from afar, I can tell you in the 40-odd minutes we've spoken to you, um, and this is certainly not a criticism of the first time we spoke, but you seem very level comparatively. And it's it's almost eerie how similar it is to hear Ash Barty talk about how results uh, are what they are. It's not the most important thing about what I do. I'm getting a lot of that out of what you've spoken about in the last 40 minutes about trying to, you know, remain as level as humanly possible. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate, first of all, to have, um, you know, Crowley in my corner and and someone to be able to lean on and talk to. He's, uh, you know, he's, I think someone said it before, everything he says, you just want to write down. Like he's, he's literally a, a talking gospel. So, um, no, I'm very fortunate to have him in my corner. And I think, a lot of the things he's helped me with have been, um, you know, his whole his whole work is all to do as, you know, as an athlete or separating the athlete to the person. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a person first and a golfer second. So I think once I you know, or connected with that emotion and and realised that golf's just what I do, it's not who I am. I think that helped me, you know, switch on and off um, appropriately with with golf and life. So, um, you know. Ash is, you know, changing the world with some of the press conferences she does. She she changes the way people think about tennis and, and you know, professional sports in general. So, um, you know, for Ben, I know by spreading the message from, you know, his athletes and his and some of his high-profile people, um, you know, he wants to, you know, spread that message and, and spread the, you know, the love and the joys of, of the sports and, and life we have. A couple of more quick ones. Uh, I noticed something for the first time on a photo, actually. I think it might have been um, from the Queensland PGA. You're rocking the Roman numerals tattoo on the inside bicep. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm halfway through this question and realise maybe I shouldn't have asked it. I don't know if you feel comfortable in sharing, but what are the Roman numeral, numerals of? Um, so I've got on my arm, I've got my family. So I've got my mum, dad and sister's birth dates. Um, I've got some more Roman numerals on my... I guess right out of um, area. Um, yes, yeah, so I got birth dates here, and I got thirty-two not out on my uh, on my right arm. So that's obviously for a tribute of uh, my good mate Joshy. So um, you know that's that's me paying my little tribute, and and you know I know he's going to be there with me the whole the whole journey. So well, I don't know if Josh is actually steering this conversation because it's a perfect segue to my final question, and and that was. Uh, Asking you a little about the tribute on your bag to Josh, um, which mm. I noticed while I was out there at the PGA at, uh, at Royal Queensland. And I suppose to take a step back, um, we were very fortunate to have uh, Brad, Josh's older brother, on the show not all that long ago. And um, we replayed at the very beginning of that for Brad um, the four or five minutes uh, of your episode, your first episode, where you were, you know, very open with us and sharing um, your story with Josh and. And I think yeah, comfortably for the two of us, it's it's probably um, the best 
the best thing that we've done on this podcast is give you the space to tell that story because um, clearly converse, conversing with you and then um, getting to know Brad, you know, both through his episode and then a bit away from the podcast as well, it's clear uh, how special a person Josh was. So I suppose for you, uh, the, the, the thinking behind um, having that cheeky little character face on your bag and, and how special uh, that is for you to know that, um, you know, obviously he's on your arm, he's on your bag, he's um, clearly obviously um, also with you uh, through, through every step of your journey. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, just little things like that to me, it's, it's not something I'm, I'm trying to promote or advertise. I think he's, he's a person that left a dent on me and, and left, a, left a good mark um you know for for my future and and what i want to do as a girlfriend as a person so um you know having that little emoji on my bag it's been a uh it's a good addition it makes my bag look pretty cool and i know that uh i know that joshy would be he probably wouldn't like being on my golf bag but you know i don't mind it i don't mind it at all and um you know i think that the power of of dedicating my uh my career to someone has been you know something you can't really explain it's it's a some kind of energy i get from it that that makes me feel special and makes me want to you know do something for someone else rather than myself and um obviously i'm motivated to do all this and and he's just been the person that that uh always would give me a kick in the ass and and tell me that you know i had some so it's uh it's it's all very special and i'm sure i'd be smiling up there having a beer watching over these last few weeks and certainly without wanting to, to put words in your mouth, Lou, but maybe the best part about it will be that you'll get to tell the story of Josh Moore because people will ask you, you know, what's that about? What's that for? And if you can tell, you know, people the way you told us and the way that Brad spoke to us about Josh, like if, if that question comes up for you around the world when you're playing golf and you get to tell a few more stories about your good mate, that, that has to be a good result. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the whole the whole thing to me is it's it's not a chore. It's something that, genuinely you know i i love love the bloke and you know generally or genuinely had a had a connection there and i love to just keep his legacy going and and maybe it's you know one day that i am able to inspire someone else to to do what they love and have fun doing it so it's yeah and, and by no means is it a chore it's it's something that i believe in and then i and i love to you know keep his legacy going well, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure, mate, to have you back on. We've thoroughly enjoyed it, um, just about as much as we've enjoyed tracking your progress in these past seven or eight months. Uh, it's obviously still a little ways to go in this summer, but as we said at the start, you keep going the way you're going, and, and we should not only see you in Latin America next year, but, but also in Europe, and really looking forward to continuing to keep an eye on your eyes and, and hopefully continuing to have these conversations semi-regularly. Yeah, 100%, boys. I'm, I'm happy to chat any time, so... Um... Yeah, there's plenty of things I'm sure we can all talk about. <laughs> Not least of which is Dubai's table tennis. <laughs> yeah, Dubai, Dubai Morgan. He's useless on that table. So, Good man, Louis. Uh, wish you all the best for the rest of the summer, mate. And we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks for joining us again. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me.